Hello, Alex Zane here. Thank you for choosing to listen to Just The Facts. And while you can still enjoy these episodes forever, you might want to check out our brand new show, A Trip To The Movies, where each week a different famous film fan curates their perfect night out at the cinema, picking what snacks they'd eat, where they'd sit, who they'd go with, and of course, what movies they'd screen. If you love cinema as much as we do, search A Trip to the Movies with Alex Zane or head to our socials at Trip to Movies Pod. That's at Trip to Movies Pod to find out more. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Just the Facts with me, Alex Zane, the podcast that takes a journey through the cinematic CV of a different guest every week to uncover some fascinating facts about their career. And thank you for being here for our stupendous 16th episode. Now, if you haven't done so already, please do take a moment to hit the subscribe button now on whatever podcast platform you use to get each new episode delivered right to your device every single Tuesday morning forever. And for all the latest news and updates about our upcoming guests, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at JTFPod. And you can also subscribe to our YouTube channel if you prefer to watch your interviews rather than listen to them. Then our YouTube channel has the full interview that comes out the Friday after the podcast. Tuesday podcast, Friday, the video interview on YouTube. Congratulations to all our listeners who correctly guessed this week's guest from the clues on our Twitter and Instagram. So uh, well done to Hannah Ponsford, Devesh Sood, Owen Nipper, our friends over at the Movie Dweeb Network, Erx Alvarezu. Oh, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, Erx. Aaron Seddon, Zibran Karar, and Frank B. All of whom worked out that I have a fantastic filmmaker on this week's episode who has given us some of the funniest comedies of the last decade. 
He celebrated the 10th anniversary of his brilliant film Bridesmaids this year. I know, Bridesmaids was 10 years ago. I can't believe it. It's a film that began his hugely successful collaboration with Melissa McCarthy, who he'd go on to direct in The Heat, Spy, and his Ghostbusters reboot. We talk about all those films. We talk about his amazing skill at working with actors and the atmosphere he likes to create on a film set to get the very best from his cast. We talk about his brand new movie that's coming out next year, The School for Good and Evil. He's a brilliant writer and director. I loved having him on the show, so please welcome to Just the Facts, the excellent Paul Feig. So, Mr. Paul Feig, how how are you, man? I'm good, Alex. How are you? Do you Where know are you what? at? I'm in I'm in London. I'm here okay. in London. So am I. <laughs> are you really? Oh yeah, yeah. I've been I'm oh, living okay. here now, actually. So there you go. Oh, incredible! Because I knew you were in Belfast for a while, and then yeah. previously LA. So you're I, I, you're living here now. Yeah, we're doing post-production on my movie here, um, which will be going till March because uh, it's a big, big effects laden film. But uh, also my wife wants to move. She wants to live here full time. I need to kind of go back and forth. But we, we love it. We've always loved London. And uh, it's exciting to um, to be here. It's a great place, obviously. <laughs> I, I really feel that London and you go together. I think you have very, very London sensibilities and not just because you're such a dapper dresser. Thank you. No, I, I feel very at home in London. I mean, my my mother's side of the family was uh, British, so um, it's in my it's in my genes, if you will. And um, yeah, I feel very comfortable here. And uh, yeah, I like the I like the way people face life in the, in London. And also, it must be quite difficult to. And I, I mean this from experience, having been to LA numerous times for work. And and like yourself, I do enjoy wearing a, a nice suit. Um, it's so hot there, man. It's like you walk down, you walk about 10 paces down the street and you're like, well, that's ruined the outfit because it is now soaking. <laughs> yeah, it definitely can get uh, warm. It's a dry heat, as we say. Uh, <laughs> it's our mantra there. But um, but I have to say, London, when London gets hot, London is, I would say, the only London I don't like is hot London because uh, it gets yeah. very soupy here. And then you're always like, oh, I'll run inside and get some air conditioning. No, it's even hotter inside. because no <laughs> yeah. That's only for like a week, you know, so you put up with it. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it feels like uh, a lot longer than a week because of how much people verbalize their disdain for it. We we yes. love a moan. We love it. <laughs> you know who doesn't? Who doesn't love a good moan? But I, I, what I find is though the Brits that I know in LA complain about too much air conditioning. So um, you know, so it, it's it's it, you can't win whatever you can't. side of the pond you're on. You can't win. Um, so, yeah, you mentioned it already, but uh, the school for good and evil, man, that's um, is that in terms of scale from what I've read, it sounds potentially like your biggest movie. Um, yeah, I think in scope, I mean, Ghostbusters was big too, but, um, this one's a total world build, which I love, um, you know, I've always wanted to do and have kind of never found the project that, that I would, would allow me to do that. And, and this one, I love the script. I love the idea of it. I love the, the, the story of these two young women. Um, and then on top of it, then I was like, oh gosh, and I can really build this whole world. And that's just been a blast. And I really got to bring a lot of my, um, my regular department heads 
friends along who just, uh, you know, took it and ran with it. And we really, we had a, a blast. So it's just, it's just a, a big beast to put together now that it's all shot. But, uh, but I'm having a ton of fun. I've got the greatest cast. I'm telling you, it's just been wonderful. Yeah, I saw, I saw the cast list. It looks, um, it looks like it's going to be special. And I find myself asking this question more and more these days, just because of the, the scale of movies, I guess, uh, Netflix is making, obviously this being a Netflix film, and, and also the money they're spending on, on talent behind the camera, like yourself and, and indeed big name stars. But the question is, yeah, are you being left alone? Because it seems to me like compared to, and you have so much experience with this, compared to working with studios, mm. Netflix tends to stand back a lot more and just go, look, you're the creatives, do your stuff. They've been wonderful. I mean, they really have been great. I mean, I, truth be told, I had always kind of said, I'm not going to do a movie for streaming because I love the theatrical experience so much. And, you know, um, but this project came along and it was there. But, you know, I, I kind of, they've been so wonderful to work with. And, um, you know, they were, they had great thoughts when we were putting it together and developing. And, you know, it's a script that was, before I came on board, had been in development for like seven years. Uh, it was a universal, then it went over to, to Netflix. And then I came in and did a lot of development on it too and they had great notes and great thoughts and they're very supportive and i mean so far they've just been absolutely wonderful so uh i i have i have nothing bad to say <laughs> good well that's great that's great seeing as you're <laughs> still in post-production of the movie <laughs> that was, that's right. <laughs> I'll, ch I'll check in with you in a year and uh, <laughs> see if it's still the same but yeah it's um yeah it's exciting i think it am i right in thinking it's the first it's the first because it's a it's a, it's a, a young adult novel as how it began life. Is this the first book you've adapted into a film since your very first feature? Yes. Oh, well, yeah, you know, yeah, because that was a, you know, a movie called I Am David, a very mm. unsuccessful film, uh, box office wise, creatively, you know, you, you can be the judge. But um, yeah, so I don't tend to work with other people's material a lot. And yet, I guess I kind of do, though, weirdly, you know, because obviously Ghostbusters was was something that existed before. And then, you know, some of the scripts I've done, uh, like The Heat, that was written by Katie Dippold. And then um, Last Christmas was written by Emma Thompson, uh, you know, and, and uh, Simple Favor by Jessica Scharzer based on a book again. But, you know, I'm a writer, too. And so it's nice. You know, I always get in there and, you know, and, and do a lot of work on stuff also. And, um, you know, I. If I had great, just across the board, great ideas all the time, I would I would not do other people's stuff. But I'm really a fan of finding something great and then kind of wanting to protect the good parts of it and then wanting to, like, take the parts that, that, that don't like it so much. Let me tell you about this sound. Tell that, me about this sound because this is good. Oh, man. <laughs> Let it stop. Maybe it won't stop. Oh my God. It sounds like a giant shaving. Okay. I mean, this post-production facility in Soho and uh, the restaurant right next door and right beneath us uh, is changing ownership. And so they're making it a different restaurant and they've been working on it and this, all day long. This happens in our editing room. And so we're like watching a scene like, oh, and, a, and, it, and literally like they might as well be drilling into my head right now. So, oh my um, gosh. Yes. So, so how's anyway. that working? Are you coping with that? Because I, I, you know, when I've had situations, yeah, 
Yeah. No, I get you. We're ready. We're ready to. We're, it, it's 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 becoming like a Lord of the Flies in here. It's turning us all so agitated that we're starting to fight with each other. It's the strangest thing. It can turn. It can turn good people bad. Um, because I, I've been I've been on camera shooting and and a plane like some someone has gone. This is the great best location. We're going to do it here. And it's a flight path. And oh, yeah. you think I've always considered myself. I'm like, I am a nice person to work with. You know, the fourth take and you think you've got it. And then the plane is over. I'm just like, no, no, no. Well, like, no exactly. out. The most emotional moment too. Like, and, and bro. <laughs> the, the, the weird thing, whenever we scout locations, I, always, I try to keep my ears on that. But at the same time, Things that you kind of in real life go like, oh, I won't hear this. The minute you got a mic hanging over somebody, like everything becomes so loud and you're just like, oh, my God. So um, but anyway, uh, so that, that, that explains the uh, the horrible sound that I, I just put your audience through. But um, <laughs> I mean, it's, it wasn't there, me. It wasn't you, me. You have to. I guess you, have to, <laughs> you guess you have to laugh, though, because, I mean, you are literally editing a movie and that is going on like, you know, which is going to be all different kinds of emotions intimate moments touching moments and then wow punches in the head (laughs) hey um let me uh let me say this uh i think is it is it i don't know is it too late to say happy bridesmaids anniversary i mean i know it it happened earlier in the year but it's still the same year right yeah it was only a couple oh gosh a few months it was may so oh god it's been a been a number of months but no i you know i we take the whole year to celebrate but yeah uh, yeah, no, it's crazy. It's crazy that it's been ten years because it doesn't feel like it's been that long. But I guess it has. Been a lot of movies in between that. <laughs> it's. I felt that as well when um, when someone when it's the it's the tenth uh, the ten year anniversary. I, I felt. I guess I felt a bit like the guy at the end of the Last Crusade who ages <laughs> really quickly. Like he chose poorly, and I was like, I can't believe it's ten years. But yeah. I mean, it, it's worth it's worth referencing. What a moment uh, that was for comedy on the big screen. Um, you've got this incredible script from Kristen Wiig and Annie Mumolo. You've got Melissa McCarthy being introduced to audiences for the first time. It was a massive hit to boot. Ten years on, what do you see the legacy of Bridesmaids being? Well, I mean, just that it it began cracking open Hollywood a little bit. You know, it's very hard to crack open Hollywood. Um, hmm. But, you know, it just showed them that movies, you know, female-driven comedies had an audience. You know, because that's really what it is down to in, in Hollywood. They, I always say this, like Hollywood's a very altruistic town. Like nobody's there like, man, let's screw over people. You know, they're, they want to do the right thing. But then there's so much about business that even though they, their heart wants to do it, they're like, yeah, but those movies don't make money or anybody starring this, you know, a movie starring this person won't make money. So they won't do it. So you have to just kind of somebody's got to take a chance and go, look, there's an audience and they made money. And then they go, oh, you know, so now the fact that, you know, very slowly there's being there, you know, I think the industry is getting a little bit better for you know women, both in front of and behind the camera, you know, but it's a slow road and it takes forever to change. But at least it's moving in the right direction. But be, being being at the very sort of front of that, in terms of it having not been done before, how how much pressure was there on you? I, I guess not on yourself, but I externally from people who are going, we are we're rolling the dice, and you're at the front of this gamble. Well, there was a lot of pressure on it, which was weird because it wasn't that big of a movie, really. Mm. You know, it wasn't like a superhero movie or something. Mm. But it was just the timing was kind of. The whole industry kind of went on hold uh, on thinking about and hearing other female, you know, led projects. Um, 
because they were kind of like, we got to see how this movie does. So it was less kind of people saying you better do well. It was more just kind of like hearing from other, you know, like female writers that I know going like, yeah, they're all saying they're waiting to see how this goes before they look at my female led (laughs) project. I'm like, well, shit, that's a lot of pressure to put on one movie. And so then I felt it because also I had had two movies before that that were very unsuccessful. And so, you know, I I was, I always referred jokingly on the, on the series to bridesmaids during production is my third strike, you know? So it's like, okay, if this doesn't work, but then, then the pressure of also like, and then if I somehow screw it up, it's going to screw up movies for women from now on, like, like it's going to go, well, see, it didn't work, which is, that, but that's when you go, that's how screwed up the, uh, Hollywood is that they, they would put it all down to one project versus, you know, with the hangovers coming out, they weren't like, well, if this movie to three guys doesn't work then we can't do movies <laughs> with guys anymore, you know? So I it, mean, it was, it's, it's awful, uh, but you're absolutely right. It's uh yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a bummer, but, but you know, thank God we did well. So that's all I'll say. And what, what was the journey? like that that opening weekend do you i i i guess it's it's seared onto your memory yeah it was it was terrifying i mean you know i've told this story before so stop me if i if i'm repeating myself try to tell as short as i can but you know the run-up to it when they start doing tracking what they call tracking where they go out and kind of pull people coming out of theaters have you heard of this movie you want to see this movie and we were tracking pretty low um and then we had been told by the studio if we didn't make 20 million dollars at least on opening weekend we would be considered you know not not a success um and so that was burned into my head like we got to make 20 million dollars this opening weekend and then the night before we opened they did a midnight screening which you know they back then they did them for like big movies but i don't know why they did it for ours because we're just we're basically like a little wedding movie if you didn't know what it was and it didn't do well and so the morning report came in it was like it only made this much so they're really projecting like 13 million dollar opening weekend so you know i'm walking around the house first half of the day, just like, okay, I did it. Well, strike three, I screwed everything up for everybody. And then, then it was late afternoon that I started getting calls from like my agents and and studio people saying like, well, actually it's looking like it might be 15 million. You know, the, the matinees did pretty well, you know, and so, okay. And then, but still not 20. So then, all right. Then a few hours later, well, maybe 17, and then it kind of went up to like 18. I was like, oh, I don't know, maybe there's something good here. So I called up Melissa McCarthy, who's who is, lives in my neighborhood, and said, her, had she and Ben Falcone, her husband, come over. So let's just have dinner on our back porch and kind of see what happens. And we're sitting there, and as we're eating, I'm getting texts like, well, actually 18.5. Well, actually 19. Oh, actually looking like 20. And it's like, oh, that was the moment of like, oh my God. And then it's kept coming in. Like, we're actually thinking 21. They're thinking 23. It's looking like 24. And then it was like, get in the car. We're going to the movie theater. <laughs> <laughs> and we all went riding down to the uh, the Arc Light, the defunct Art Like Art Light Theater in, in L.A. And the place ran into this theater, and it was completely full and rocking. And uh, so then it was a very nice weekend after that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's funny when you you say like on the set of Bridesmaids, I was I was saying this could be my third strike, and and that kind of gallows humor. But were you actually quite uh, quite concerned with with the prospect of if it didn't do well, that would be three strikes, and what that might mean in terms of your ability to tell stories? Oh, I knew I would be dead in the water. I, I mean, you know, I I was actually kind of already dead in the water because you know I did that movie I Am David, which just bombed. But it was it was it was kind of an indie glorified indie, so it didn't really ding me. But then I did this movie called Unaccompanied Minors, which was a studio film for Warner Brothers, a Christmas movie, and that really didn't do well, and that put me into movie jail um 
which is a very real thing because it basically means, you know, people, oh, they want you to do this movie and suddenly it doesn't do well. It's like, actually, they don't want you to do it anymore. And I'd been directing, I was directing a lot of TV and I'd created Freaks and Geeks. So, you know, I was doing well in television, but I just wanted to do movies. That's all I've ever wanted to do is movies. And so had three years in movie jail. And fortunately, you know, Judd, actually when I was in production or post-production on Unaccompanied Minors back in 2016, uh, no, 16, wait, what am I talking about? 2006, <laughs> I think it's way back. Um, <laughs> you know, he had said, hey, come to this table, read Kristen Wiig, because she, she was in Unaccompanied Minors. Uh, you know, said, and I love Kristen. He said, oh, come, she's doing this table read of this movie that she wrote with Annie Mumolo. And so I went and I thought it was really fun, you know, and it was kind of the bones of what what, what the movie turned out to be. Um, you know, but then I, but then I, he kind of wanted me to shepherd it. And I was so busy with this other movie and then have these offers to do movies after that. So I was like, well, I need to do these, but let me know if it goes. And then my movies fell apart. And then the, the bridesmaids, what well, it wasn't even called bridesmaids back then. It was, I forget what it was called. Um, that just kind of languished for a few years and kind of went away. I mean, I remember calling Judd a couple of years after that going like, what's up with that wedding movie? He's like, I think it's dead. And it's like, Oh, that's a bummer because I just thought it was such a great seeing this table read they did with all these women up there. It wasn't even the women who ended up being in the movie. Although Melissa McCarthy was weirdly reading up there, but in a different role uh, and just thought, Oh, what this is like, how fun I've always wanted to make, you know, movies about women, you know, with, with funny women in it. And um, so when, so, so went away and then it was really, I was, um, in New York, shooting a bunch of commercials for Macy's, including one with Donald Trump. Okay. So, <laughs> yeah. um, and I was just wow. really low point. It was just really like, oh, what is happening? You know, I, like, I, I can imagine. Yeah, there's no shame in directing commercials. I, I you know, no. Do. But I wanted to do movies. I was like, oh my God, my career is so stalled. And um, then I got this call from my agents going, like, hey, that wedding movie might be alive. You know, but I said, well, Judd didn't call me. So, he might not want me to do it. So I said, just submit a list of directors and put my name on it and see what happens. And like five minutes later, he called me, Judd called me and said like, okay, we're going to do this movie. And, you know, so I got out of movie jail. Uh, and, and once you've gotten out of movie jail, once you will do anything to not go back. in. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, but what you've done to not go back there is carry on making hugely successful movies. So that's, that's, I that's agree. good. Did you have a plan? Had you really like addressed that? Did you have a plan? Had you thought, well, look, if this bombs, I have this this backup plan. My plan B is I'm going to do this. It's going to be TV. It's going to be well, something yeah, it was just going to be, it was just going to be, I was just going to keep directing television, you know, mm -hmm. for, for the rest of my career, which is fine. And it's fun. And I, and I do enjoy it. It just wasn't satisfying as a storyteller, you know, to, I want to have my own things that either I create or to, mm -hmm. you know, when you, when you're in television, you're, even though I was, I was lucky because I had my own show freaks and geeks that I created. So I had a little more cred with the writers because mm -hmm. generally a TV writer, just kind of a TV director sort of like, here's your script, do it. But I, I got, I had got to have input, but at the same time, you know, you're still in service of the writers and of the showrunner, which is great because when I had my show, that's what I wanted to. I didn't want people coming in and trying to change everything. Um, but, you know, it's sort of you kind of go, oh, but I want to be the storyteller, you know, with a movie, you know, even if it's a script you didn't write when it comes to you. It's not like, okay, shoot that, shoot that script. Like you as the director in movies are the kind of creative power. And so you have to make the script good. And they, they want that. They, like no studio wants you to go like, here's a, thanks for the script. It's great. I'm going to shoot it word for word. They want you to get in there and make it, make it even better. So that's what I love, you know, whether I'm writing on it or whether it's something I've written like Spy, you know, or, um, or just something that I'm collaborating with. It's just really satisfying. I've, 
I mean, obviously, Bridesmaids did go on to be a, a huge, huge uh, success. Um, I think one of the biggest comedies of the 21st century in terms of uh, its box office. I think maybe, maybe The Hangover was a little bit bigger. But... They were bigger, yeah. That, yeah. That one. But we, you know, we're, we we did we did really well. Yeah, <laughs> really well. Yeah, and internationally too, which is that was a big thing because that's the big thing with American comedy is it usually doesn't tend to uh, travel well. <laughs> so the fact that we did was really nice. And I mean, I, I don't mind telling you, I will. And I don't know whether this is acceptable because it's taking a little snippet of the story and watching it on YouTube. Uh, but I will watch the plane sequence just to cheer myself up. I, I think it's just such a perfect sequence, you know, stove. What kind of name is stove? It's uh, it's 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 ridiculous. It's anarchic. It's um, it's yeah. so much fun to create a scene like that. What sort of atmosphere do you have to have on the set? Are you trying to build an atmosphere as well as capture a scene as the director? Because I imagine, you know, it feels like sometimes you watch a scene and lightning has struck. And that, to me, has to come from not just the ability of the performers, the greatness of the script, and uh, the person calling the shots behind the camera, but the, uh, a sort of organic feeling of how everyone's like, I feel in a safe place to just try anything. Yeah, well, I always say that's my biggest, one of my biggest jobs as a director is to create a safe environment for people to be able to be created in, you know, and I was an actor for a long time, which is why I understand that because I worked with certain directors on different projects and, you know, you would try something and they would like, oh, what are you doing? You know, <laughs> don't deviate from the script. That was stupid. That why just, why'd you do, you know, and you're just like, oh, and you creatively just freeze up, you know, and that's terrible because I've had plenty of times when like somebody does something on my set, I'm just like, oh God, you know, but I don't, I just think it, but in my head, I don't go like, what's wrong with you? I go like, well, cool. Oh, that was great. You know, now we have that. Let's try this. And so many times I'll get back to the editing room and the thing I thought was terrible is actually the funniest thing because it just wasn't something I was expecting or something I had in my head that I wanted. And so over the years, I've just learned like, look, get everything, like get what I want, but then I want them, the performers, to to be able to do what they want. That's why I don't do a lot of rehearsals. I just kind of start rolling and they'll do whatever they're going to do. And a lot of times I'm like, okay, that's not at all what I had in mind, but all right. <laughs> and then I'll just incrementally move them towards what I want. Mm -hmm. And in doing so, I have all these takes that are various degrees uh, of what they want, what they think it should be, what I think it should be. And it's great because then I, when I get in the editing room, I've got, you know, 10 takes that are all different. And as you're putting a movie together, you go, you know what? Actually, it's better to have that more low key one or this more amped up one or this one that is completely weird and not what we thought, you know, because you just when you put a movie together, it's really pieces. You know, you have pieces, you have great performances, but the great movie actors know that you need a few different levels, you know, go like, OK, let's let's do this one bigger. Let's do this one smaller. Let's do this one more emotional. Let's do this one less because you just don't know. It's like putting, you know. Is the it's that weird thing when you're making a movie, you know, the dailies have to be good. You know, the studio has to be like, oh, my God, we love these dailies. And that's great. So that's your first thing is to make sure you're turning out good stuff. But, you know, it doesn't when the dailies are all great, it doesn't mean that the movie's going to come together. Well, if you don't edit it right, if you don't get those pieces together. And that's the biggest thing. I'm always saying like people are like, they're like oh, this is you know it's looking so great. I'm like, yeah, let's I don't say this to the top people. You're like, let's hope it adds up you know, because it is because we strung stuff together. And suddenly the thing that is it was going to be the best thing in the movie. You're like, 
oh, brother, you like mm. take it out. It just doesn't work now because it just, you know, you're you're conducting an orchestra on like notes, you know, every note is beautiful, but when you put certain notes next to other notes, suddenly they're not beautiful anymore. And, um, you know, so so that's why it takes, you know, twice as long to at least to to edit a movie as it does to shoot it. But that's my favorite part too. I love production because I love working with my actors and Mm -hmm. doing stuff, but I really love having all the footage and then working with my editor and and, and my post-production team to turn it into something hopefully great. I've I've seen the way you work. Um, I've I've watched you. Um, uh, the other person I saw do a similar thing um, uh, was Adam McKay. Uh, where it's it's not what it's it's quite wonderful to watch how uh, uh, both you and he will be shouting out things from behind the camera to to your to your actors. Guy, love that bit. Why don't you try this? Why don't you try that? Why don't you try this? And you can watch on on the set of a movie a scene start here and by the end have transformed into mm-hmm. a completely different scene. Yeah, no, it's really true. I mean, and that's just being open to everything and and using the, you know, the the skills and the creativity of the people around you, and which then gets you thinking. So like they do something that they go, oh, actually try this, and you you're writing lines in your head, and you know, and 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 it becomes this real free for all that a lot of, you know, I, I hate sometimes, you know, especially people who don't like my movies, you know, will kind of go, Oh, it's just all improv. And they just make it up. It's like, we never do that. What we do is we have a, a script that we work on endlessly to make sure it's right. But then within it, you know, how you get from point A to point B within a scene, sure. We can detour and try these different jokes or whatever, but it doesn't mean we're just like, okay, do whatever you want. Like you'd be crazy to go and do do a movie like that. And I've seen movies like that. And I'm always go like, okay, well they're just making this up as they go along. So (laughs) it's gotta be like controlled chaos. I call it. Yeah. Do you have to have a, do you have to have a a, a cast that is capable of doing that though? Cause I I don't imagine everyone uh, is, is totally comfortable with sort of going, right. You want me to do, I've sort of learned this scene. I've worked out in my head. I know how I want to do it. Do they have to be, for example, a comic, do they have to come from a comic background to be able to do that kind of level of improv? No, it just depends what kind of an actor they are. And I've worked with both. I mean, I've worked with some who've turned up the greatest performances who said like, please don't throw stuff at me, you know? (laughs) And it's fine because what I'm able to throw at them then is like performance changes, you know, like, like, look, we're not changing the lines, but like, try it really upset this time, you know, try it really glib this time. And, you know, and then you'll get this, you know, great kind of different physicality out of people. So, you know, the only people I couldn't work with have just that they were like machines and just said it exactly the same way each time, which occasionally you get with kid actors, like little kid actors. Mm. And that's always like, Okay, you know, try this. Okay, and then they this exact same thing, and you're like, okay. you're kind of like, okay, you rehearse with your parents like over and over again, and you, that's the worst thing with kids too. Sometimes is you know the ones who who are are naturally gifted just get coached by their parents, and so they come up with these very adult reads on things. And you're like, oh, God, you got your parent drilled this thing into your head. So but that happens very rarely. I mean, you know, the, the casting process is where you figure all this stuff out, you know, and that's, you know, I, I, people know so little about what directors do. Cause I have so many times people go like, so are you involved in the casting? It's like, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like the biggest part of my job. You know, that's like once when I was working on the office, some woman goes like, Oh, you direct the office. Have you ever met Steve Carell? <laughs> I, think, I think I met him on the set a couple of times. <laughs> 
but, you know, but, but the, uh, the, you know, the casting is where it all happens. And that's why the casting process for me is very involved. Like, try this, try that. You know, I like to throw stuff at people. And if we're doing a straight up comedy, I'll do a lot of improv in, in the thing just to see where their brain is and how comfortable they are. But, you know, there's some actors I've worked with who don't come from a comedy background at all, but are just funny people you know, and, and aren't allowed to use that muscle. And they're fun because they so want to do it, you know, and, um, you know, you just have to guard them that they don't go too far or whatever, yeah. you know, uh, but, you know, every great performer, especially great comic performer has this kind of limiter that they have naturally that they will always go a little below because they don't want to go too big. But I always say my, one of my good skills is I'm able to push you to the edge of your limiter where I know you won't go past it, but you're going to do something you didn't think you would do that is completely believable, but it's a little more extreme. And that's when I, then, then I'm so happy because then they give you something where as an audience, you're like, wow, I didn't know they could do that. Or that that's an, a new shade of that person. <laughs> that's really fun. Have you ever lost a moment though? Cause I mean, the problem, not the problem. I mean, one of the joys, but I guess one of the problems is director of working with really funny people uh, when they come up with something uh, unexpected, whether to them or to the other, um, cast members like people do crack up it's inevitable are you oh, always getting enough coverage or have you ever had that moment where it was the perfect moment until they cracked up and you have to say through gritted teeth yeah take that one again <laughs> well i i love it i actually i have always love when when they corpse as they call it here yeah uh, when people break up <laughs> i never understood where that came from um but uh I, it makes me very happy because a I know I'm going to have fun stuff for the for the gag reel the blooper reel, and also just means that they're they're having fun they're in the moment you know what I find is crews get really upset about it you know they're you know and I've had to I've had to tell like crews like especially camera person people like do not point the camera away because I was on one of my first movies like really funny stuff was happening when somebody's breaking up and the camera would just like pan up to the ceiling <laughs> like their way of going like well screw this they're not <laughs> because i've used stuff i've used moments where people just break because mm. you don't know as an audience and you go like oh what a funny laugh you know like so i like just keep that fucking camera on them the whole time because you know i i just think it's fun and then um yeah then you go like just go again you know it's it's that's a great thing about i, what I love about film is we just all we're just recording everything so we have it all and to me the greatest moments are the ones nobody expects um, who's in front of the camera that they surprise themselves or i am able to whisper to somebody say this to them you know and then they have this natural reaction which you cannot you know if you rehearse it that you're never going to get that and it only happens once and you have it for eternity and the audience will think they did it on purpose, you know, or, and um, that's the beauty of, of recorded medium. <laughs> I mean, one, one um, actor, uh, a, a comic who, um, who you clearly have a, a great working relationship with is of course, Melissa McCarthy, who you did bridesmaids with. And, and then, um, the heat was your next one, wasn't it? Um, and yeah. was that always the plan as you were closing up bridesmaids? Did you, did you, Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Have her in mind for another project. Was it going to be the heat? Was that all set in motion already? Well, I wanted to, I definitely wanted to work with her again. And I actually wrote right after Bridesmaids, I wrote a script for Melissa and John Hamm to do. Uh, and, and I was really happy with it. And I'd been consulting with Melissa about it and everything. And then, then it just kind of didn't happen. And um, so I was really bummed. And she went off to do Identity Thief. And that was kind of my window. And I thought I was going to work with her because then she was going back to this TV show she was on called Mike and Molly. Yeah. So I was just, just kind of like walking around the house like, oh, man, like I didn't get to make the movie I want that I wrote that I wanted to do. And there's not another project and she's gone anyway. So, you know, what am I going to do next? And it actually had committed to doing Bridget Jones, uh, a baby and was it had, was in London that summer kind of working on it. And then that kind of fell apart. And um, for me, so uh, you were going to do Bridget Jones, baby. And then that didn't. Oh, I didn't know that way back when. Like, yeah, right after right after Bridesmaids. And uh, it just didn't work out. But um, so I was just sort of like, OK, well, I'm screwed. And then this script came in called the Untitled Female Buddy Cop Comedy. Mm. And um, and I read it and it was so funny. <laughs> part of it was that I was told that Sandra Bullock was interested in playing one of the roles. And so as I was reading it, I was thinking all these people who could be in it. And then like 10 pages in, it was like, wait a minute this is Melissa. And then when I started reading it with Melissa's voice, it just got even funnier. And by the end of it, I was just on fire. Like I got to do that. I got to do this. I got, you know, and so got in touch with my agents and who got in touch with Melissa's people. And basically she was shooting identity thief. And they said, we didn't think we thought it was going to fall apart a million times. We were scouting and everything. It was like dead man walking. I was just like, they're going to pull the plug. I knew they're going to pull the plug. Yeah, I had this whole crew, but we're like, let's just keep going. <laughs> and then they worked it out. So Melissa was basically going to wrap identity thief, come right to our set and go into production the next day. It would have to just go straight through um, until she started Mike and Molly. And then the last two weeks, we were going to have to fly her on a private jet back and forth so she could film with us, go in, shoot that show, come back. And um, but it worked out. And so, you know, it was this kind of miracle that that movie came together. Wow. Uh, I loved it. I had so much fun. I mean, it was weird. It was a weird follow. It was not a weird follow. It was weird following up Bridesmaids with that one, because I think critics 
were kind of expecting another bridesmaids out of me. Mm. I don't know, they always kind of think you're going to do the same thing. And so we got kind of not great reviews on the heat, but, uh, but it did really, really well. It, yeah, it did. It was huge. I love it. I think it's super funny. And, you know, and, and Sandra and Melissa are, were so funny together in it. And um, so I'm very proud of that movie, even though it's oh, the one of mine that people talk about the least. I, yeah, it's weird that I, I agree. I mean, I think it is eclipsed by uh, both Bridesmaids and Spy. I love it. It's, it's possibly, it's possibly one of my favorites because, you know, I'm a huge fan of those, um, those kind of 80s buddy cop movies, which, uh, you know, it works as a buddy cop movie that is also very funny. And, yeah, I, and I like the darkness that it includes in it. Like, I don't know what that says about my sensibilities, but it reminds me of the kind of movies that I grew up with in the 80s. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, the, one of the biggest inspirations for that movie for me was um, like Beverly Hills Cop and 48 Hours. Because, you <laughs> yeah. know, you see those movies, you go, these are comedies. And you go and it'd be like an execution right up front. And you're like, holy <laughs> shit, like this is... <laughs> like high stakes danger, but you're like, that's why it's funny because these people are really in danger and then they're dealing with real situations. So I love that. I mean, you know, there's nothing I love more than making an audience scream and laugh at the same time. Oh my God. Um, two scenes that I have to mention, uh, <laughs> the knife in the leg scene is, yes. it's just, it's so, it's so good. It's it's the, obviously, I mean, it's a spoiler for anyone who's going to see it, who hasn't seen it, but I'm going to do it because uh, it's worth it. <laughs> She's like, I'm going to have to put it back in. And it's, that's the first laugh, but it's the fact she does it twice to get it back in. <laughs> it doesn't go in the first time. Oh, I know. And that was, that, that was, you know, for me kind of the, moment where I kind of went like, I want to do scarier comedies or, or higher stakes because audience, they laugh, they scream with laugh. They scream, they scream in horror and in laughter at the same time. And again, it's like those, you know, that's why horror movies are so much fun because those emotions are so close that, um, no, it was a real game changer for me. You know, then the tracheotomy scene too. Which, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. I love that scene personally. I, I it really makes me laugh because it's so over the top. <laughs> It's wonderful. That's the scene that uh, I was going. That was like that was the next scene on my little list of scenes here. I was going to mention. I was building up to it because that is the one that I. I think I. I nearly died laughing in the cinema. <laughs> I really because I, I wanted to do this kind of alternative marketing for for the heat and convince the studio uh, that we should do a thing based on something I saw Steve Martin do when he put out the movie The Jerk when I was a kid. Like we went to the theater and like watching all the previews and then this kind of weird thing that looks unofficial came up and said for theater owner owners only not to be shown to the general public. And then it was Steve Martin sitting behind this desk, like, Hey guys, here's what we're going to do. We got this stuff. We got stuff. There's stuff in the trailer. It's not even in the movie, like being really honest and in the audience. And it's, it was so funny. Then at the end they go like, Hey, wait, that's not supposed to be on. And then I get pulled off the screen. <laughs> I was like, I want to do something like that. So I thought, let's just do that. And we'll put out a scene and I want to put out the tracheotomy scene. Uh, you know, and so we had it all set to go and we tested it. It was so funny, but then the studio got nervous at the last minute. And so they traded it for the scene where she interrogates, um, you know, Michael hits him in the face with the book and she's going to shoot him in the dick. But I was always <laughs> like, oh man, but how great, like an audience just sitting there, all of a sudden the tracheotomy scene comes on and they've just been like <laughs> screaming and running for the exits. And I, but they would have been talking about it. So no, they, well, uh, it's, an, it's an extreme scene, it, but it's possibly, it, it's the one that you go, wow, that must have, I, I wonder how many conversations were had about getting that scene into the movie <laughs> yeah I, 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 it, it seems like you go like if we're gonna do this let's do this you know mm -hmm. it's it just like you know the the um you know the the, the dress scene in uh 
in bridesmaids. You know, like if we're going to do this, like let's have, you know, well, let's shoot a lot of stuff that's really extreme and then we'll sort out later what's too much. But if you don't have it, you don't have it, you know? And so it's just like, let's just fucking go for it, man. Because you know, I, I don't like timid comedy, you know? I, I like either either do it or don't do it, you know? It's, it's like, that's why I like R-rated comedy. Like if you're doing a movie about bad people, you know, or bad guys and stuff and nobody can swear, then you kind of go <laughs> like, well, okay, those guys aren't really that bad, you know? So <laughs> it's all about kind of realism because, you know, I do R-rated movies. I don't have any sex scenes and there's no nudity really in any of my movies that I can remember because I don't like that stuff really, you know, as a filmmaker. So uh, it's just also people can swear basically <laughs> and um and i well i mean just while we're on the subject of the, the tracheotomy uh tracheotomy scene um and, and and fluids in general one of my one of the moments in spy that i just remember absolutely dying at is um is <laughs> when when uh when melissa mccarthy kills her first henchman and is so repulsed by what she's done <laughs> and his death she then yeah. vomits on the corpse exactly <laughs> well i mean that was i was writing that scene and I remember thinking like you know what i liked about that project is like is basically like what would happen if i was suddenly made a spy and you know like i you know, wouldn't be that I, if i was good at it i would react in very you know real ways and yeah i wrote this scene where she kills a guy and i remember thinking like this doesn't feel honest to me like what would you really do and it's like yes you would chances are you would throw up if you sent somebody over the side of a building and they landed on, on, a, on a concrete spike or whatever. <laughs> and it's what's interesting, a lot like The Heat, which works, as I said, as, a, as an action movie, an action buddy cop comedy. I mean, this is a spy is a, works as a spy movie. Like I remember, because I have this weird thing, uh, which I talk about probably too much, but I get goosebumps at good action. Like it's one of the things that really like makes me go, oh, that's amazing. And spy works in that respect. Hey, I appreciate that. You know, I mean, that's always my goal. You know, my whole career, basically, I'm just trying to work my way through every genre in the world <laughs> that I can, you know, and I love spy, you know, I always wanted to direct a James Bond movie and then realized nobody's going to let me. So I was like, oh, I'll write my own, you know, but I, I really bristle when people refer to my movies as spoofs, you know, and mm. I just saw recently some articles like spy this spoof and it's like, it's not a spoof. It's to me, I just want to, I want to do a real spy movie, but I want it to be funny. So it just means that the, you have to be true to the genre and make sure that the story and the script works, but then put extreme characters in those situations. And that's where the comedy comes from. You know, that here's this mild mannered woman who goes into the situation as pretend she's tough and she gets stuck with this, this woman who's a total asshole, you know, uh, you know, that Rose Byrne played so hilariously. Yeah. <laughs> but that's the funny thing, you know, is like going head to head with with extreme personalities and and putting real people into extreme situations and seeing how they cope with it that's that's funny but the, the situation and the danger have to be real or else it's or else it's one of those i hate those those kind of comedies where there's a bad guy but he's funny you know because then it's like well there's no danger in that guy you know if he's bumbling or whatever it's like okay versus Okay, even if he's funny, you go, oh, he's funny, and oh, and he just killed somebody, you know, <laughs> like, all right, so he's psychotic, you know, but at least that means something, and then you really are there like, oh, gosh, I hope my characters, you know, my, my heroes can get through this. 
I think the one thing that surprised me the most about Spy, and I wonder how 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 you knew it, whether it was like you say, you attach a lot of importance to the casting process, but how mm. did you know Jason Statham was going to be that funny? Because he is almost the MVP of Spy. Uh, it's he's incredible in that he's movie. Fabulous. I mean, look, all you have to do is watch the movie Crank to know that that guy has a sense of humor, you know, <laughs> and so. You know, I, my wife and I have been just giants Jason Statham fans forever just because I just he's so great on screen. I just every movie he does, whether they're good or not, I'll watch and just marvel at how good he is. But it really is when I saw Crank. I'm just like, he has to know this is crazy, you know, <laughs> and he's so committing to it that that is a man who knows what's funny, you know. And so when I wrote that role. I wrote it for Jason and everybody like at the studio and beyond when they read it, they go like, Oh, so you're going to cast like Will Ferrell or, or, you know, Ben Stiller in this role. I was like, no, I want Jason Statham in this role. And they would always like crack up. And then they go, that's kind of really funny. Would he do it? You know, that was the only question mark. Like, would he do it? But I had had a meeting with Jason um, before I wrote spy just because I was such a fan and like, as a director, that's one of the perks you get is you can like go, Hey, I'd like to meet so-and-so <laughs> and sometimes we'll show up. And so, um, he showed up in my offices and I was so terrified because I was like, I you know, expect Jason Statham's going to come in and, you know, be Jason Statham, <laughs> you know, and I go out in the lobby and he's there and he's like reading a magazine, looking all stern. And I was like, Oh, Hey, Jason, Paul <laughs> he's like, Hey, how's it going? And he, we had the most fun hour long meeting, just joking around. And he was hilarious. And at the end, I said, like, Jason, I, I'm going to write you. A, I want to write you a role. I don't know what it's going to be. I want you in a comedy. He's like, all right, all right. You know, I think everybody says that to him. And I'd heard later when I called his manager and he, they were a little on the fence about doing it. He was like, you know what? Jason said, you're one of the first people that actually said they were going to write a role for him who actually did. So so he, <laughs> considering it. Um, and then he came on board and we just we had so much fun because, you know, we had written a bunch of r- ridiculous stuff for him. Hmm. But then as when he got there, it was just like, it just, you know, myself and I, you know, I had a, you know, like Katie Dippold was around who it was, she was in the movie too. And she was helping me write jokes. And I had some other writers who came in like Trisha McAlpern and stuff and they're writing jokes. And so they write these jokes and hand them to me. And I was like, like that scene in the hotel room, I'm sitting like six feet away from Jason, like next to the camera. And he's got all these ridiculous things he's saying anyway. And then they're handing me these things that are so ridiculous. And I'm like, Oh, is he going to like kill me? If like, so every time I like feed a joke and like, try this one, <laughs> you know, and I would read it out and he would burst out laughing and then he'd go, all right. And he'd do it once and he would kind of, it wouldn't come out right. And then he'd do it the second time and he would nail it. And, and then we were just like, then we were getting greedy and we're like, you know, <laughs> Dresses Barack Obama, just, you know, all these ridiculous things. And, and God bless him. He committed to it. If, if you ever get a chance, watch on the, the Blu-ray. There's a bunch of uh, like outtake jokes of Jason's that we did that are so goddamn funny. And I, we just we didn't have enough time in the movie to put them all. In. <laughs> I, I've, I, I think I've seen that compilation and it is incredible. Um, I, I, I still think <laughs> when he's trying to come up with his his what his nickname is going to be, it made me laugh so hard that he committed so hard to it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, although I still think the icing on the proverbial Statham cake is uh, put me in the face off machine and give me a new face. That's so <laughs> yeah, good. He, uh, he committed hardcore on that one. But you know, I mean, he's just, I think he's he's got this wicked sense of humor because I remember interviewing him for Spy at, uh, at the Junket here in London. And, um, and I just like, he delivers things so dryly that you're like, I don't know if you're joking or not. It's just so scary. 
Yeah. Well, that was really, I, when we did our, you know, I do, what I'll do before I do a movie is like months before I'll have each person come in and we'll just read their parts, you know, just because I want to hear it. And because um, I want to know, oh, do I need to rewrite this for them? Should I, you know, let's find out what's funny about them. And so Jason came in and he sat down, he opened it up, he started, he goes like, so now do you want me to be funny? And I said, Jason, I want you to commit to this. Like, this is the most serious movie you've ever done in your life. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what he did. And, so, and every line, I was just like, uh, we, I think Melissa was there with me, too. And we we're just like, oh, and like he read every line. And we, I was like, Jason, go away. We're done. Don't look at the script again until we go to the set. And yeah. That's his magic. Yeah. He, in the interview, and admittedly, I... I'll say straight out. This was a this was a silly little question, just a little question, a bit fun at the um, the, the spine interview. I was like, "This is obviously the movie Spice about secret agents. Tell us a secret um, about yourself that nobody knows." And he just looked at me and he he, he went, "Do you think I'm an idiot? There are cameras here. If I tell you a secret, you're going to record it, and it won't be a secret anymore." <laughs> I was like, I don't know if he's joking. It's brilliant. It's the perfect answer. The perfect Stathanian <laughs> answer. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so that was the first, I think that was the first time you and I met at the Spy um, Junket. Um, and then we met again for Ghostbusters, which was a very, it was a very funny interview with the, 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 the four leads, which you, uh, a bit of impromptu direction sitting behind the camera just to make me extra nervous, which was great. <laughs> um that movie, um, that movie, that had a, a rough ride, didn't it? I, I remember sort of being a little bit blindsided because, you know, I don't think I'd been quite as aware of this the toxic nature that can come with social media and yeah. this sort of this ugly movement that happened around it. When you look back now, how do you feel about what happened with Ghostbusters? I think it's ridiculous. Right. <laughs> I think it just it was just silly. It was so. You know, I was just trying to make a funny movie, you know, and there was a, a movie that I remember fondly from my 20s when I saw it and when I was in film school. I went like, this is hilarious. And somebody asked me to do a remake and I was like, well, you know, let's, you know, let's let's reboot it. I work with really funny women. Let's do it that way. Then we won't get compared to the original male cast. And that was it. <laughs> that was which makes was perfect long- sense. Yeah, and I go, like these are really funny women. Let's just make a fun, funny movie that has action and adventure, and you know has all kind of the things that the original one did. And that's all we set out to do. And then this, all this other stuff around it exploded, which I tried to ignore. And then very stupidly, probably the biggest mistake I've made in my career, I actually you know played into it and, and you know went after some of the guys who were just being so terrible to my cast. And then you know once you do that, you're the bad guy. And then um, you know and then it all then that happens. Howdy, <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Oh, lovely! Oh my, see that's it's right. It's one it's one of the Ghostbusters haters right now. I was, <laughs> I was gonna say, what a time! What a time for them to start. Is he defending that movie? Fake bloody, no way. Oh my um, God. Wait, it'll end and sometimes it doesn't end. <laughs> uh, it's good. Oh, oh, right, that's, right. that's good. So, I mean, when you look back though, I mean, in hindsight, would you have done anything different? Uh, not, not necessarily, like, I mean, apart from possibly engaging uh, with these people. Yeah. That's the only thing I would have changed. I just would have just never, it, never, uh, you know, um, 
acknowledge them. <laughs> no, I'm happy. I'm happy with the movie. I you know, look every movie you do, you go like, oh, I wish we'd done this and that. You know, I'm never happy with any of my movies completely. You know, there's always something you want to change. But no, I I love that movie. I'm very happy with it. And I love the performances. I love the you know my cast and everybody was funny. You know, uh, Michael K. Williams was in it, who just passed away, and that was devastating to me because he was the mm-hmm. sweetest guy in the world. Just such a lovely guy. But no, I really no, I, I I love it. I will never apologize for that movie. I get constantly contacted by by parents who, who with daughters and sons who love the movie. I have women who said they they went into science because of the movie. So no, you know it, it's everybody everybody's way too serious about pop culture. Uh, you know, too too sensitive about it. I think, and everybody's just got to kind of chill. There's bigger problems in the world right now. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. And I know, I know it's it, it probably isn't going to happen. But I know that you it is something you would have liked to have done because you wanted to explore those characters and their relationship. If in like you know Magic Land, um, you were able to make a sequel to your Ghostbusters, would you do that? I'd like to. I mean, I feel like now, five years later, maybe it's a little. You know, I always I always worry about like the sequel that comes years later. You know, because it's you know whether the audience is like, wait, what? Why is that back? But in a perfect world, yeah. I mean, I, I love I love them. I'm very excited to see you know Jason Reitman's new one. I, I hear it's great, and I can't wait to see it. You know, and it's he he made the choice to you know to build off the first two, which I made the choice not to. Uh, you know, and and both are valid choices. I like the thing. Um, but no, I, I, I love Ghostbusters. It's that's why I took it on in the first place. It's the greatest idea in the world. You know, funny, smart people taking on the paranormal with science. That's fantastic. You know, that's like catnip for anybody who wants to do this kind of comedy. So, um, no, I'm very, it's still, it's still the screensaver on my phone. Wait, look. Let's see. Wait, 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 hold on. There's stuff on here I don't want you to see. Uh, <laughs> wait, yeah, that see, is... there's my, somebody did some fan art for it. Oh, the, wow. Amazing. So- that's great. I did actually, I saw him. How did it feel when Jason Reitman, I think it was, was it Ghostbusters Fan Fest, when he actually thanked you for kicking down the door on what and who Ghostbusters could be? That was a very special moment for me, I have to say, because, you know, you know, the hate is the hate has continued. It never, never leaves my feed. But um, so that was just really so sweet of him. I mean, I've known Jason for a while and um, he, you know, when I was just in movie jail and directing television, you know, he came out, he directed an episode of The Office and I was hanging out with him there. And he's always been so supportive of me um, that I have a real soft spot for Jason. And, you know, when he announced he was going to do his, he called me immediately like, I hope you're not upset. I was like, Jason, why would I be upset? You know, I, I think it's great, you know, and um, I just want more Ghostbusters movies. I think it's a fun world. And I'm, again, I can't wait to see what he did with it. But um, no, that was a really really nice moment. And here's the thing I will say is that, you know, that was a fan fest filled with these Ghostbusters fans. They're all super supportive of of my movie. It's really, it's this kind of second tier of either trolls or, or people who just, who are just sort of casual Ghostbusters fans, I think, or who had it spurred something else on them. But like the true Ghostbusters fans who dress up, you know, do the cosplay and all that, they're just, they're the most wonderful, welcoming people. They're so generous. They do charity events with, with, you know, their Ghostbusters personas and um, they've been just nothing but supportive. So, you know, I always hate when the, you know, the media kind of goes like, oh, the Ghostbusters fans didn't. It's like, nah, you know, let's not. Let's not paint it with that that wide of a brush. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I was going to ask you how it felt seeing people um, 
at uh, at the Ghostbusters Fan Fest dressed up as your Ghostbusters, which must oh, have been yes. lovely. Yeah, it was great. You know, I mean, one of the most fun things we ever did was when we did the premiere in in Hollywood. You know, we had the big premiere in the in the Chinese theater. And then I, then all these like, you know, true Ghostbusters fans were coming in for, for the thing. And I said, like, OK, well, we're going to you know, we, we didn't have enough room in the main one because there's so many people you got to get into a you know Hollywood premiere for political reasons. I said, I want to do the second screening for all of them in the same theater and just have everybody come in. And they did. And, and they you know, they loved it. The biggest regret of my life is I got stuck in the, the, the after party and didn't realize I wasn't told that the movie had ended. And so I didn't get to go over there at the end and, and thank them for coming. And I, to this day, if I could like wave a magic wand and change one thing in my life, I would have been there when the, when the lights came up to thank them. Uh, but they were just so wonderful. And they all showed up with in their costumes with the, one of the great, I have a picture of it somewhere. Like, they wouldn't let anybody bring their proton packs in. So you just see the, the courtyard <laughs> of, the, of the man Chinese where all the, the famous handprints are. Like a line, like of dominoes, all these proton packs that are waiting. And it's, they really, you know, I, again, I have such a soft spot for, for the uh, Ghostbusters fan. Oh, that's hilarious. Like, like the people on the door going, no, no, no. If, if, what if you use it in there? No, it's it's it's. What do you think this is? This is yeah. Really, it's not real. You know. Right? <laughs> um, I mean, a lot. We've touched on this, but a lot of the movies that uh, you you've made. I mean, that Spy. It's an action comedy. Uh, the Heat action comedy, and the two are married so perfectly. But they do belong on the big screen. And I think what we're seeing these days, uh, this was partly the pandemic, but I actually think it was happening before. Comedy seems to be losing a battle on the big screen and finding itself heading directly to streamers. Mm. Do you do you think that is something that is happening? And how do you feel about that? Because for me, it's slightly worrying. Well, I mean, here's the thing. Like, people get people have been getting very squirrely about comedy in the last number of years. Um, like, you know, I can talk from my experience, you know, when we starting with bridesmaids and like the heat, about, you put out these trailers and there'd be a lot of hostility against the trailers in that people go like, well, clearly all the funniest jokes are in the trailer. Like people, I think it either felt so burned by comedies that didn't work in theaters or they don't feel they feel like they're being manipulated or something. So you know, we were starting to see a little bit of diminishing returns at the box office for comedy for a little while. Um, but, you know, that stuff ebbs and flows. Um, I just think, you know, well, especially with the pandemic, obviously that blew everything out of the water. But, you know, it, comedies, I want comedies to be in theaters because we engineer these comedies to be seen in, with an audience of people laughing together. We really like orchestrate them that way. And that's what we do all these test screenings and go like, oh, they got to laugh there. Let's actually let's give a little space for that laugh here, you know, and um, doing comedy for television or for a streamer, which, you know, in, you know, is, is essentially doing it for television. Um, you structure things differently. You look at them differently because you're not trying to get a group of people to have the same response. You're just trying to entertain, you know, a person or a few people. And so it's just a different skill set, but it allows you to do different kinds of comedy that isn't quite as hard, you know, like big joke, big joke, that kind of thing. Um, so I, I don't worry about it because the big screen is always going to be there and that people should keep doing comedy for the big screen. But I'd rather be in a world where comedy gets made 
as opposed to it didn't get made because the studio went like, well, nobody's going to come see that or that's not going to make enough money because then we'd lose out on all these really fun voices and new filmmakers, which, you know, you know, streaming has given a chance for new filmmakers who wouldn't normally get that opportunity. And I just want comedy. I want funny stuff out there. Good good comedy, character-driven comedy that can be as big as it wants to be. But I wanted to get made. I don't, you know, and that's what I was starting to see is like comedies weren't getting made or like a comedy wouldn't do well. And suddenly the studios like pull back on their comedy schedule, you know, or slate. And then a bunch of projects that probably would have been great didn't get made. So I try not to worry about that because I'm the biggest proponent of, of movie theaters because I think that group experience is important. But, you know, my new movie is for, for Netflix. And, um, and I love the idea of people being able to enjoy it that way. And our, our hope is that we kind of have a theatrical release and then, then also, you know, then a few weeks later come out on Netflix so you can have the big screen experience. We make it as if it's for the big screen. We don't make movies any differently, which is, you know, why I think the whole controversy about, you know, should streamers be up for, you know, Oscars, you know, if we don't make the movie, it's not like, what's well, for a streamer? So let's make the movie different. It's like, no, you, you put as much sweat and blood and heart and into these movies and you have the same equipment and the same crews and, you know, and you work the same hours. So, it's just, you know, a movie's a movie at the end of the day. That's fascinating. I, I really, I, I hadn't thought of that. The idea of like uh, making comedy different when you are aware that it is going to be straight to someone's living room and they aren't going to be with a, a group of people. I, I just always, I'd always assume that it would be the same, the same thing. And I was just finding like with movies, that I felt belonged in a cinema. I'm like, laughter is infectious. I, I, I've watched movies, never got the best reviews, uh, the sweetest thing, Vacation, uh, which I still stand by. And I, because I was in a room full of people, they are some of the best memories I have of comedies. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, that's, that, it's still the best way to watch comedy, hands down. You know, uh, you know, the first thing I saw in a theater, I think, was uh, they re-released Animal, the Marx Brothers Animal Crackers, and I was <laughs> in a theater filled with college students going they were going crazy and it's like oh my it's like a religious experience so that is a big thing but then yeah you know when jokes joke i hate the word jokes because it sounds so like you know but it, like funny moments um with a big audience really have to be foolproof they have to hit because if you're in an audience and here comes a joke and you're like you know, you don't laugh and doesn't get a laugh. And then here goes another one. You go, like, I think that was supposed to be funny. <laughs> you know, <laughs> then you immediately in the audience immediately starts to go like, I don't think we trust this movie and yeah. we don't trust the people that made this movie that they know what's funny. And that's when, you know, the anger and the angst starts to come up. And not that we would put in jokes that don't work, but we might be more tempted to go like, I know that's funny. If for some reason it's not landing for a group, but I just know, I know it's fun, you know, and this, you know, I don't, you know, we're not expert. We're, we're not foolproof on what we think is funny, but there's just some stuff when you're in comedy, you go like that, that's funny, whether it's a, a chuckle or it's kind of sets you up for the next thing. And that's the stuff we would probably be ripping out of a movie. Whereas you go like, okay, you know, I actually think we can leave these things in. You don't want a bunch of them because, again, you'll have the same thing. It doesn't. One person sitting watching a movie that where the jokes aren't landing 
will have the same response and go click, you know, and that's actually the scariest thing about doing a movie for streaming is, you know, at least in the movie theater, it's going to take at least 10 to 20 minutes for somebody to walk out of a movie theater, <laughs> you know, but on streaming, just like, and 30 seconds in, I don't like this click. And you're just like, Oh my God. So, so that in some ways is actually more stressful. Alex. Yeah. And they love their data as well. Don't they streaming services? So they know exactly what point someone has turned off your movie and they are aware. <laughs> yes. I know the whole thing now is total minutes viewed, which I really I find very funny. So oh my God. Watched, you know, this many people watched your movie for this amount of minutes, you know, <laughs> collectively is like, well, this means one person turned off in five minutes. Somebody sat through the whole thing, but I'll, I'll take it. Whatever makes anything sound successful. I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm, I'm going to run in with this very last question. because I know you're busy and we're, we're almost out of time. So you have to get back to uh, editing. Um, <laughs> The school for good and evil before the um, the drilling comes back. Oh my god! I know exactly. We only had it twice, so I feel very special. Um, I'm sure you get asked about this uh, sporadically, like a relay race every time uh, you do another interview. Um, but is there any news on Dark Army? Because as a Monster fan, I am very excited. I know you finished the script. There were issues with you know the scale of it because you know Universal got their fingers burnt a little bit with the Dark Universe. What's What's the latest Dark Army update? Um, rewriting it, rewriting right now. I had a, had a little bit of an epiphany on, on something I wanted to do with my lead character um, that I was just actually doing sketches of. So excited about that. And um, yeah, you know, <laughs> who knows? It's the movie business is so interesting right now because, you know, there's only so many slots for movies. And so they only make so many. But, you know, this is something that they've been universal and very supportive of and, you know, just really wanted to get the budget down, which they weren't wrong. I mean, there, there was I think I wrote it a little too too big for the first one, you know, you're hoping that you know, you're going to create a franchise just, just so these characters can continue. But, um, I, I you know, I, I'm feeling very good about it, but who knows? I mean, there's a lot of stuff spinning around, but uh, you know, I would love nothing more than to make dark. Army. And I, like a lot of people would love nothing more for you to make dark army. Thank you. Alex. <laughs> and Mr. Paul Feig, genuinely, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. I really enjoy uh, chatting to you about cinema. You are an oracle of knowledge. Uh, whether, whether you accept that compliment or not, I always yeah, feel like I'll take, I've I'll take it. I think some people would disagree with you, but I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> um, have a great day and good luck with putting uh, your latest film together. I can't wait to see it. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate it. Have a great day, mate. You too. Cheers. See ya. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. 
Let's get this dinner party started. Hello, Alex Zane here. Thank you for choosing to listen to Just the Facts. And while you can still enjoy these episodes forever, you might want to check out our brand new show, A Trip to the Movies, where each week a different famous film fan curates their perfect night out at the cinema, picking what snacks they'd eat, where they'd sit, who they'd go with, and of course, what movies they'd screen. If you love cinema as much as we do, search A Trip to the Movies with Alex Zane or head to our socials at Trip to Movies Pod. That's at Trip to Movies Pod to find out more. <laughs> 